Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. If you haven't already, you know you want to, head to mybookie.ag right now, sign up for a brand new account, and use our promo code UGA to get that 50% bonus on your first deposit. What are you waiting on? Jump on that deal right now. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and I've got a lot of different things to discuss on today's show. We've got some leftover mailbag questions from last week that I did not quite get a chance to get to because I had to go run and catch a plane. We also have some new questions that have come in over the last few days, so I want to get to all of those, and we will do that here in about 20 minutes or so. But first, I want to start with something that has caught my attention over the past couple of weeks. And this is probably like, yeah, duh, Tyler. I'm sure you've all noticed this. But we are officially getting the Bama treatment where we come into each season, no matter who we've lost, no matter how last year ended, with the expectations of being one of, if not the clear best team in the nation coming into the new season. Now, go back to last year. Yes, we were number one opening the season, and we went the entire regular season holding on to that number one spot. Then we lose to Alabama in the SEC Championship game. We know how, how it went, right? We know how that story goes. But from week one all the way to championship Saturday, we were the number one team in the country. But that was a little bit different than this year, right? Last year, we were coming off back-to-back national titles, and we were trying to go for the three-peat. And in the minds of a lot of the pollsters who vote on these things, After Georgia wins back-to-back national titles, they've earned the right to be the number one team in the country in the polls until someone knocks us off. That's how a lot of these voters work, right? Well, this year it's different. We just talked about it. We lost the SEC championship game. We did not get selected for the college football playoff. Yes, we beat the holy hell out of Florida State in record-breaking fashion to the tune of 63-3. But the reality remains, we did not win the national championship last year. We didn't even get to play in the Invitational that determines the national champion. But despite that, here we are coming to the new season. I know the AP poll has not officially been released. That doesn't happen until August. So we got months and months until that happens. But essentially, every other indicator here in the early offseason 
is saying that Georgia is the clear favorite to win the national championship. It doesn't matter what sports book you're looking at. If you're looking at my bookie, our guys, they have Georgia as the top betting favorite to win the national championship. If you look at DraftKings, FanDuel, ESPN Bet, Caesars, they all have Georgia as a pretty clear betting favorite to win the 2024 national championship. It's essentially universal at this point here in late February. And look, the betting lines are nothing new. They've been out for a while. That's been a month or two, right? Like We've known that. That's not news. But what really caught my attention personally last week were Bill Connolly's initial S&P Plus numbers for the 2024 season. If you're not familiar with Bill Connolly, he is now with ESPN. He's been with ESPN for a couple of years, and he has devised his own ranking system, his metric that he calls S&P Plus. And when those came out last week, it really caught my attention because Connolly and S&P Plus don't care about perception or the polls. They don't vote on things the way that these pollsters vote on. They don't really necessarily look at things the way that the, the sports books do. All the sports books certainly have their metrics and their power ranking systems and all that kind of stuff. They do have that. But S&P Plus is different. S&P Plus is all about efficiency. And if you're not familiar with S&P Plus, first off, you get yourself familiar with it. I love S&P Plus. I love Bill Connolly. I, I, there's not a ton of national guys that I have all that much respect for, but Bill Connolly is certainly one of the few. Love him. He does a fantastic job for you. has been, been following him for a long time. He's with Football Outsiders, SB Nation. So I've been following him for a long time. I've had respect for this guy for a long, long time. think he does as good of a job as anyone in his ecosystem. But if you are not familiar with S&P Plus and what Bill Connolly puts out there, he's also the guy that does the returning production numbers, which we'll talk about here in a, in a few minutes. But when he's putting together his S&P Plus numbers, it's really three primary factors that he's looking at. It's returning production, recent recruiting, which obviously we excel at, and also recent history. Again, obviously, we excel at back-to-back national titles, lost a heartbreaker to Alabama in the SEC Championship game, then get left out of the playoffs. So recent history, very strong. Recruiting, very, very strong. Returning production, not elite in that, but still strong enough. And S&P Plus, it's defined by Conley as a tempo and opponent-adjusted measure of college football efficiency. And you can look more into it if you want to, which I encourage you to if you're not familiar with it. Again, fantastic metric, and it's typically very accurate as a predictive model. So why did Bill Conley's S&P Plus numbers, his initial S&P Plus numbers for the 2024 season, catch my attention? Well, as you might guess, Georgia was atop those S&P Plus rankings at number one. But it's not just that we were number one. You kind of somewhat expect that based on what you've seen from the sports books and having us as essentially the universal betting favorite to win the 2024 national title. It's not that we were number one. It's the margin by which we were ahead of everyone else that really caught my attention. Georgia had an S&P Plus number of 34.5. Now that probably means nothing to you, but let me give you some context here. Let me give you a frame of reference. Ohio State, at number two, had an S&P Plus number of 30.1. That's a 4.4 difference between Georgia and Ohio State with their S&P Plus numbers. Now, who cares, Tyler? Like, why does that matter? What does that mean? Tell me, what does it mean? Well, let me tell you, all right? Well, the gap between Georgia and Ohio State at one and two is as big as the gap is between Ohio State at number two and Penn State at number seven. Again, Ohio State, 30.1 with their S&P Plus number, Penn State, 25.6. So the gap between Ohio State at two, Penn State at seven, is the same size as the gap between Georgia at one and Ohio State at two. 
What I'm saying is we are an overwhelming number one team in Bill Conley's S&P Plus rankings, which aligns with the fact, the reality that right now we are the overwhelming betting favorite to win the national title this year. Again, to a lot of you, that's probably not news, but it got me thinking. It got me thinking about this. Should we be? the overwhelming number one team coming to the country? That's how my mind works. I know I'm a Georgia guy and I'm supposed to say, hell yeah, of course. But it makes me think, should we be? Like, I know we're really good, but should we be not only the favorite, but this overwhelming of a favorite? I think it's fair to at least ask the question, to explore the idea. Well, after asking the question and exploring the idea myself for the past couple of days, I have come to the conclusion that, yeah, we should be that overwhelming of a favorite entering this season. I think that we are that much better than the other teams entering this season. I really do. Ohio State's good. Ohio State's really, really good. I think they're probably the, the number two team. They should be number two there. They're really talented, but I still like our team. And I, and I start by looking at it like this, okay? Again, this is just how my mind works. I don't know about you guys. This is how I look at it, okay? Let me ask you this. Can we all agree that we were the best team in the country last year? but just didn't have a chance to play in the playoff because of the flawed nature of the Cultural Playoff selection process and the failings of the Cultural Playoff Committee. Can we agree on that? I think most Georgia fans would agree on that. Probably most of you out there. I know it's not a universal thought, but I think most of you probably would agree with that, right? Well, even if you don't, okay? Even if you don't, if can we at least concede that we were one of the two best teams in the country last year? And even if you want to say that Michigan, who, yeah, they won the national title, give them their props, right? Tip your cap. They won the national title. So if you want to give Michigan the benefit of the doubt, so you know what, Tyler, it's okay that Georgia wasn't the best team last year. It was Michigan. That's fine. If you want to say that, that's totally fine. I disagree, but I get where you're coming from, and I'm not going to push back too much on that. But even if you do want to argue that Michigan was the best team in the country last year, we're trying to project ahead to this year, right? So if Georgia and Michigan were the two best teams last year, at least, right, in my opinion, and I think most of your opinions out there, well, which one of those teams projects to be the better team this year? Well, it's hands down, Georgia, guys. It's not even remotely freaking close. Not only did Michigan lose their head coach and a lot of their coaching staff, but they are 128th nationally in Bill Connolly's returning production numbers. Guys, there's 134 teams in FBS football. They're 128th nationally. They only return 24% of their offensive production and 47% of their defensive production. There is a reason, well, more than one reason, but there is a reason why Jim Harbaugh left. Yeah, he was probably staring down the barrel of, of, of some NCAA infractions, and that was certainly part of it, but also the man's not dumb. He knows what he had coming back this year. He knows that they built to last year. And this year, there's going to be a decline in their production. There's just simply not going to be as good of a team. Not only do they have a very small amount of their overall returning production coming back, they're also losing their most impactful players, right? You're losing quarterback J.J. McCarthy. You're losing your star running back in Blake Corum. You're losing some of your top receivers. You're losing Roman Wilson, a guy like that. You're losing Junior Colson at linebacker. You're losing Josh Wallace at cornerback. You're losing offensive linemen like Drake Nugent. You're losing Zach Zinter on the offensive line. You're losing Chris Jenkins, who was a great defensive tackle for them. You're losing all these guys. Again, the most impactful players on your entire team, it's not just one or two guys. It's basically all of them are gone. And Michigan, quite frankly, just does not recruit at the level where they can just plug and play. 
They're not a plug-and-play program, guys. That's not what they are. They are a developmental program, and they built to last year. They developed that roster, developed those players to get to the point last year where they were able to win a national title. They're going to have to build back up, guys. They're not there this year. So if it's not Michigan, well, then who is left to be the best team in the country? It's Georgia. It's Georgia, guys, and it's pretty clear. But if you want more specifics on that, not only were we one of the two best teams in the country last year, and the other arguably best team in the country, Michigan, is losing basically everybody. Well, think about what we have this year, guys. Think about our roster in particular. We have, as I talked about last week, in my opinion, the best returning quarterback in the entire country. Carson Beck is that guy, y'all. I mean, he is. We, we saw it last year. That was his first year as a starter with a new office coordinator in Mike Bobo. He's back as a second-year second, second year starter. He's going to get an entire offseason as the guy. He's never had that. He's now more comfortable with Mike Bobo as and not only his coordinator, but also quarterback coach. He's got better weapons. I know you lose Brock Bowers. We'll get to that in a minute. But overall, offensively, is going to have more weapons to work with than he had last year. On top of that, protecting him, because we know that Carson is not the most fleet of foot guy. Now, he's certainly, in my opinion, far more mobile than he was given credit for entering the season last year. And I think he put that on display for people to see. But he's still not, you know, an Anthony Richardson caliber guy, which is or a, a, let's say, this year's class. He's not a Caleb Williams caliber athlete. Like, he's not that guy, right? So you want to have an offensive line that protects him. Because you get Carson Beck time in the pocket, he will destroy you. He will carve you up. Well, we still happen to have four returning starters coming back on the offensive line. Yes, I know that we are losing Cedric Van Pran in the middle of that offense at center, and that's a tough loss, but Jared Wilson, I think, guys, is going to do a really, really good job. I know our coaching staff, our team is really high on him. I'm high on him, what I've seen. I haven't seen a lot, but I've liked what I have seen from him. Yeah, I guess we're losing Marius Mims, and that sucks. The guy's a super incredible talent, but he played, what, like five-ish games for us last year? I mean, he wasn't really much of a factor for us last year, guys, and we were the best team pretty much the entire season, right? And I know you can say that Xavier Trust, like, okay, is he really a returning starter? Well, I mean, guys, he has a ton of starting experience, okay? I know at the end of the season, he wasn't starting, but this guy has starting experience and will be certainly in the mix to start once again this year, probably right tackle who'll be in that battle with Monroe Freeling. So at the very least, we can say we have four guys returning with extensive starting experience. And then one of the other guys, as I mentioned, Monroe Freeling is a former five-star that could be filling in for Mary Spims at right tackle. So be a really, if he beats out... Xavier Trust, then hell, I mean, we're in really good shape, guys. And then behind Beck, we've got a much healthier, deeper, talented, and explosive running back room. Obviously, we get Branson Robinson back, but then you inject a guy the caliber of Trevor Etienne into the equation. We have an incredibly gifted trio of running backs coming in this class. I know they're young, but hey, running backs can get on the field pretty quick, guys. That's, that's a position where you can play early and play often and play at a really high level. But you also have another year of Roger Robinson, Andrew Paul, further removed from the injury. We have a really talented running back room, guys. And last year, we were just so besieged by injuries at that position. That's Even if we get have a couple guys go down and get some injuries at that position, we still have so many talented options that we are, we're going to be better at that position. That's no slight on Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards. They were fantastic for us last year, but the guys that are going to be playing for us this year are just 
higher quality overall athletes. I mean, guys, Branson Robinson was going to be our feature back last year prior to the injury that he suffered in fall camp that ended his season. Well, he's going to be back this year. Now, is he going to be back to 100%? I don't know. We'll see that. But you've got Trevor Etienne. You have all these other guys. We have a ton of talent and explosive ability, playmakers at the running back position. Yes, at tight end, we lose Brock Bowers. And he is irreplaceable. You're not going to replace him with a guy of that caliber. Those guys just simply don't exist. But we know how well we've recruited at the tight end position. We are loaded there. And I don't think people really get how good Benjamin Urosic is, this guy coming over from Stanford. I know he won't be here for spring practice. That sucks. I hate that. I wish he would be here because I think that would really help him make that transition into our offense, into this team. But hey, I don't care, man. This guy has played enough football and he's been productive enough. When he comes in in the summer, guys, I'm telling you, this guy is going to be a big time player for us. Will he be Brock Bowers? No, because there is no other Brock Bowers. But that doesn't mean that Benjamin Urosic can't be a really good player football player for us, guys. And let me just give you some numbers here. Again, I do not think that people realize how good this dude is. Now, he missed half of last year with an injury. So I think it's part of it. Like, he wasn't a major factor last year. Stanford just sucked anyway. But he was out with injury. But if you go back and look at the past couple of years, okay, this guy has over 1,300 yards receiving since 2021. That is the most among any returning tight end in college football this year. And the only three players over that same stretch who put up more yards than Urosic were Brock Bowers, Michael Mayer, first round draft pick, and Dalton Kincaid, who's now starting for the Buffalo Bills and is a hell of a tight end. Those are the only three with more yards at that position in that time span. Benjamin Urosic, guys, is a freaking stud. And Stanford, by the way, is a train wreck at quarterback, and he's still putting up yards. I mean, this guy is legit, and we're, I mean, if you don't, if you're not familiar with this game, you're going to find out real quick, because this guy is big time. And again, no, not Brock Bowers, but a lot of the things that we did with Brock, we can do with Jurassic. Then at receiver, yeah, we're losing Ladd, but again, Ladd missed a ton of time last year. I mean, half the season, and was he ever fully, fully healthy? I don't know if he was at any point. So it wasn't like Ladd was Ladd, you know what I mean? Last year, he just really wasn't that guy, and it's not his fault. It was injured. He tried to play through it, and he's a tough guy, and I love him, but it just wasn't that guy. But I think overall, especially with the transfers we've brought in, we have clearly upgraded our talent at wide receiver. We get Ra Ra Thomas and Dom back. We get Dominic Lovett back. Those guys, now with a full year in our system, are going to be able to hit the ground running more so than they were last year, especially Ra Ra Thomas. And you get Dylan Bell, who really came on strong late last year after splitting time at running back and receiver most of the season. Now that he doesn't have to worry about playing running back and be a full-time receiver, the sky is the limit for that guy as a playmaker. So offensively, I think we check all the boxes. I mean, I think we are absolutely loaded. And then defensively, will we be better on the defense line, which was our clear, I don't want to say weakness, but it, it, if there was a deficiency for us last year, it was the defensive line, which, as we talked about many times. I don't know if we're going to be dominant on the defensive line like we were in 21 and 22, but we're going to be better on the defensive line, guys, because... The best players that we had coming back on the line last year are returning. Nas Stackhouse, Warren Brinson. I think guys like Christian Miller and Jordan Hall are going to take big steps forward this year. I think Jamal Jarrett is going to be a guy that's going to be a really solid contributor at worst for us and has the potential to be a big-time player for us at that nose guard position. And then you bring a guy like Xavier McLeod, who's the wild card. I don't know what to expect quite yet, but he's a really talented player and it's just, we're going to see how quick he can get up to speed. So I think we're going to be better on the defensive line than we were last year. A lot of those young guys that we needed to be dominant last year that just weren't ready to be, maybe this year, 
they kind of are. So I think we'll be better there. We address that deficiency, at least to some degree. I think we have the best inside linebacker room in the country. I have made no secret of that. I think we have about six guys, at least, that would start for, I mean, I'm serious, guys, roughly like 99-ish percent of the teams in America. Uh, at edge, we know we've had some issues there in the past couple of years, but we've addressed those edge issues, moving Michael Williams over to edge f- to the jack linebacker position from the five tech. And you got Damon Wilson coming back last year, did some really good things for us at the end of last year. I think we're going to be much better at that position. Chas Chandler is still going to be there playing his role. In the secondary, yeah, we lose Kamari and we lose Bullard, but we still have Malachi Starks returning, who I believe was the most physically gifted of all the players in our secondary last year. I think he is the, the surefire first-round draft pick in the secondary. He is back. And as much as we love Javon Bullard, Malachi Starks was the better player. Like He's clearly the more physically gifted player, and we get that guy back. So if you get one of those two back, I mean, I love Javon, but give me Starks, all right? Give me Starks. And yes, losing Kamari, but we have a wealth of options at cornerback. We do have Dalen Ever returning. We know that Daniel Harris came on really strong last year, played really well in the Orange Bowl. And the coaches fought to keep him for a reason, guys. And we got Julian Humphrey, who really started to get it to more playing time as the year progressed last year, then went down with an injury, unfortunately. We aggressively pursued him to come back and not in the transfer portal for a reason. These guys are really, really good. So a ton of really talented options. And oh yeah, by the way, we have who I think is probably the, maybe the best player in the entire country in Ellis Robinson the fourth come in to compete at that position as well. So we are loaded with a ton of options. Whoever emerges is going to be a big time player. And then special teams wise, like we no longer have a freshman kicker. And by the way, that guy that was a freshman last year ended up being a hell of a kicker for us. He's going to be you would think even better this year. We got Brett Thorson, the, the wild Australian, back again. He might only punt four times this year, but hell, hey, you know, when he punts, he's a hell of a punter. I think that we're going to be more lethal in the return game, and, and that's no slight on what Makai Muse was able to do for us. He was a really good return man, but we just have superior athletes, guys, that are going to be vying for that position, whether it's Anthony Evans, who we saw a little bit of late in the season doing some of that stuff, whether it's going to be a guy like Michael Jackson, a guy like KJ Bolden even in the return in the kick return game, maybe it's a guy like Dylan Bell. There's a ton of options there, guys. I think we're going to be even more explosive in the return game this year. So yeah, when I say that we should be the overwhelming favorite in this season, that is why. Who else checks as many boxes as we do? Not just check, it's like check plus with elite player after elite player after elite player, elite position group after elite position group. There are very few spots on our roster, guys, where we are not elite. And I'm not talking about just good. I'm talking about elite. There's very, very few. And on top of that, we have some returning experience coming back, some very strong returning experience at the most important positions like, oh, I don't know, quarterback with Carson Beck. So at the end of the day, while, yeah, I, when I saw those S&P Plus numbers, and I, I wasn't surprised that we were number one, I was kind of surprised that we were so far ahead and above everyone else, including Ohio State at number two. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, Actually, it kind of checks out. I think it's fair. I think that we should be considered that overwhelming of a favorite coming this season. Now, we got to go out and win, guys. We know the schedule's tougher than it has been, and we understand that. We got to go out and do it on the field. But if you're asking me right now to project forward based on the rosters of all these teams in the country, yeah, I think that we are clearly the best team in the country. We'll just have to go out there and prove it on the field. But okay, I just want to get that off my chest. That's something that's been on my mind. I wanted to bring it here on the podcast to you guys. But before we move on and get to our mailbag questions, I do want to again quickly remind you about our great friends at my bookie. Yes, it sucks that football season is over. We all hate that. And we're all already longing for it to be back. But in the meantime, to tide us over, we've got college basketball, guys. And college basketball is heating up right now. We're just about a week or so away from March. 
the tournament, NCAA tournament, the conference tournaments will be here before you know it. And you want to get that bankroll built up before the tournament gets here so you can really go wild of course, responsibly, with the NCAA tournament. And that's just a lot of fun, guys. So get started today. If you haven't already, go to mybookie.ag. Use our promo code. It'll help you out, give you a 50% bonus on that first deposit. So if you deposit 100 bucks, you get an extra 50 to play with, guys. Go ahead and do it, man. It's a no-brainer. Jump on this while you can. Again, mybookie.ag. Use our promo code UGA, and you'll get that 50% bonus, and you'll be able to bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with mybookie. All right, guys, let's get to these mailbag questions. And I'm going to start off the top here with Ted, who actually got one of our newer questions. I think this came in maybe yesterday, I want to say. So I appreciate the question, Ted. And Ted asks, what are your thoughts on the changes to the college football playoff, good or bad for Georgia? That's an interesting question, Ted, because I don't think it's overwhelmingly good or overwhelmingly bad for Georgia. I think... It's a little bit of both, to be quite honest with you. Let me explain why. So I'm sure you guys have seen this by now, but if not, let me just quickly recap. So the original idea for the expanded 12-team college playoff was they were going to take the six highest-ranked conference champions, and they were going to get auto bids, essentially, right? And then they would take the six next-highest-rated teams after that. Well, with the implosion of the Pac-12, there's no longer a power five. There's not five power conferences. So it's like, well, what do we do? How do we address this? Well, they came out with their with their solution, I think yesterday, and their solution is a 5-7 model. So it's going to be the five highest ranked conference champions get auto bids, and those five teams will be seated one through five based on who's ranked higher, right? So the highest ranked of those five highest ranked conference champions will be the one seed, and then two seed, three, four, five, right? And the top four will get first round buys. And then after that, they're going to take the seven next highest rated teams, highest ranked teams in the college playoff rankings, and they get a bid to the college playoff. And I do think there's some good and some bad for Georgia here. Now, the fact that there are now going to be seven at-large teams and not six, that is good for Georgia. Because let's say, you know, we played in a tough conference. Let's say we get the SEC championship game like we did last year, and we lose. We get knocked out, right? We, we lose that game. And maybe we've lost to like Texas or Alabama on the road early in the season. Well, that, that gives us a better chance of actually being still selected for the college football playoff because there's an extra at-large team. So that part is good for Georgia. The part that I don't think it's like terrible for Georgia, but I don't like it and I wish it wasn't this way, is the fact that it's the five highest ranked conference champions that still get... The, the first five seats, right? So if we don't win the SEC, we're not going to get a first round buy. So that, there could be a scenario where like this SEC championship game is number one versus number two, right? It, that's feasible. Maybe not this year, but in the future, maybe it's like Georgia, Texas. Maybe it's Georgia, Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. I don't know. You name the team. So maybe it's one versus two. It's two undefeated teams that didn't play each other in the regular season. Well, if we lost that game, let's say we were number one and we lost number two, LSU. I don't know, all right? Well, LSU now would be number one, of course, if they beat the number one team. But even though we still might be the second best team in the country, we wouldn't have a chance to get a first round bye. We would have to play in the first round. We would host in the first round in that scenario, most likely, but we would not be able to get that first round bye. Another team that's probably not as good as us and doesn't have as good of a record as we do 
will get that spot by virtue of winning their conference championship, even that conference is going to be an inferior conference to the SEC, like the Big 12 potentially. So that part I don't love. I, I don't love that it has to be a conference champion that gets the first round by. And some people are like that because they want to preserve the meaning of the conference championships. That's fine. I just, I, if we're trying to get the true best team that's a champion, that doesn't always work out that way, right? That way, right? But if you talk about you want to reward the regular season, because that's one of the the the, uh, the arguments against the expansion of the 12 team playoff, right? Getting it to 12 teams is that it just takes away from the regular season. Well, those of you who feel that way and want to preserve the regular season, not giving a team like Georgia a chance in that scenario I just laid out, a chance to get a first round bye, even though they were undefeated in the regular season or maybe dominant in the regular season. Well, I think that detracts from the regular season, you know, if you ask me. So that's the part I don't love. Again, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world because in that scenario, we'd still get in. If we're as good as we think you think we are, then we should just win the first round game anyway. So like, who cares? I just, you have to play an extra game, which is, you know, a little wear and tear on the body. So it's not the end of the world, not the worst thing. I'm not crying about it. But if you're asking me, is it good or bad for Georgia? I think it's a little bit of both, depending on what part of the, this new playoff you're looking at. Part of it's good, part of it maybe not as good. All right, let's move along here. Let's get to another question. Next up, we've got a question from Kevin. We talked about Brian McClendon earlier this week. So Kevin says, with Brian McClendon moving on and now Del McGee rumored to be heading to Georgia State, in case you guys haven't heard the rumors, it appears that Del McGee is the lead candidate for the Georgia State head coaching job. That hasn't been made official yet, but it probably will be coming down over the next 24 hours or so, I would guess. I don't know that for sure, but it seems to be trending in that direction. So with McClendon moving on and Del McGee potentially going to Georgia State, I'm curious which assistant coach you think is most indispensable or most important for Kirby to keep on staff. Kevin, this might be a cop-out answer. I appreciate the question. So this might be a cop-out answer. I'm, I'm sorry if it is. But I'm at the point now where I don't know if there are indispensable assistants that we have to keep that would like destroy our program. I say that because Kirby is the centerpiece of this program. This program is built around Kirby Smart, and he is a freaking force of nature. Yeah, I love Glenn Schumann. I think Glenn Schumann is awesome. Love the guy to death. But if Glenn Schumann left, we're fine, guys, because we've got Kirby Smart, who's the defensive guy, right? And he knows he was a football himself. We're in good hands there. He brings somebody really strong. Maybe Will Muschamp will take that job back. I don't know, but we would be okay. I'm not going to say I want to see Glenn Schumann go. I don't. I love him. I think he's a great coach. There's a reason why we pay this guy like $2 million a year. He's really, really good at his job. But again, I don't think he's like indispensable. I mean, you could have said the same thing about Dan Lanning. Was Dan Lanning indispensable? I mean, we still won a national title without him. Some of you would love Todd Munkin. I love Todd Munkin too. Was Todd Munkin indispensable? Now you might say, well, we didn't win a national title this year. Yeah, I mean, okay, but we still were a top five offense nationally. It wasn't our offense that was the problem. Our offense drove this team, guys. It was our defense, actually, in my opinion, that led us down ultimately. And if Mike Bobo got up and left, we'd be okay. We'd go bring in Buster Faulkner or whoever. We'd be fine. Because Kirby Smart will make sure that we are fine. He is the driving force behind the program. As long as Kirby Smart is here... Everything else is kind of just details. Like, yeah, you want to have good people around you. Don't get me wrong. Of course, the, your coaching staff matters. But what I'm saying is I trust Kirby Smart to get the right people around him. And at the end of the day, he is the thing that keeps this this whole program running. And he is the one that drives the culture. Because I believe, yes, the coaches matter. I'm not saying they don't. But the culture, as I've said many times, is really what has separated us over the past couple of years from the other teams around the country. And that is Kirby Smart. That is Kirby Smart, guys. 
And again, I trust him to go out and hire the right guys. He's done a great job of that. You might say, oh, we lost this guy. He's a great recruiter. Well, you know what, guys? Kirby Smart's the best recruiter on staff, and he ain't going anywhere. So I kind of somewhat reject the premise of the question, which I, and I don't mean that to like be rude at all. I don't. I just, I don't know if there is a quote unquote most indispensable player or coach on our staff. But it, to play along, if I had to pick one guy, I mean, I would go, I guess, I guess I would go Glenn Schumann. I mean, he and Bobo have the most responsibility as the coordinators. And I think the world of Glenn Schumann, I think he's a, a rising star in this profession. It's just a matter of time until he gets a big time head coaching job. It's going to happen. He's, he's fortunate enough. He has the luxury to be selective with how much he's getting paid and what he has to work with here at Georgia. Why leave for a lesser job? He's not going to, he will leave eventually. So, um, yeah, I think it would be, it would be Glenn Schumann. I, you guys know, I think a lot more of Mike Bobo than I guess the average Georgia fan does probably than a lot of you do, but, um, you know, I, I don't think Bobo's necessarily indispensable. I think he's really good at his job, but could we bring in Buster Faulkner and not skip much of a beat? Yeah, I, I think we probably could bring another uh, something similar to that. Yeah, I think we probably could. So yeah, I guess I would go Glenn Schumann. But again, I just kind of I don't necessarily agree with the premise, if that makes sense. All right, so there's the first two questions, and we do have a couple more. But I want to fit in one more quick break here before I forget. And I just want to remind you guys about our wonderful friends at Alumni Hall, guys. Alumni Hall, there's no other place like it on planet Earth. I tell you that all the time because it's true. You guys know I love Georgia gear. I mean, if y'all saw my closet, I should probably put some stuff on social media. Like, It's probably a lot like all of yours. It's red, black, white, gray, top to bottom. That's really essentially all it is. And I have gone to many places over the years, been a Georgia fan for a long time, but once I found Alumni Hall, once they made their way to Athens, it was game over for me because I had never seen a selection the, t the type that Alumni Hall had. And I'm serious, guys, not even the bookstore. I'm serious. They had things that not even the book bookstore has. They had the best vintage Georgia collection, the vintage logos, which I can't get enough of. So when you're in the market for some Georgia gear, guys, it's a no-brainer. Alumni Hall is your go-to place. So stop by in-store inside the Etchbury Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com, and they will take care of you guys. You have my word on that because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, a couple more questions here. Next up, we got a question from Trent. So this is also a newer question. Trent says, I read a report today that Clemson and Florida State are likely to be in the SEC in 2026. I did also see it today. I don't know if it's like a, I mean, that's more speculation, I think, maybe than anything. But I, I did see that, Trent, so I'm with you on that. So Trent asks, if the ACC does fall apart, which teams would you most want to add to the SEC from that conference? To me, there's three teams that I want. I want Florida State. It's a major brand. They take football seriously. They have an SEC-type fan base, right? They care like SEC teams do. So Florida State is just a fit to me. Clemson, I would also classify along those same lines. It's an SEC fan base in a largely basketball conference. Really, that's, that's what Clemson is. Now, Clemson has been a more recent brand. They, I don't think that they're the same level of a brand as Florida State, but I want Clemson because I want to renew the rivalry between Georgia and Clemson. I guess still it's a rivalry, but we just don't play every year. And I don't know if they join the SEC if we'd be able to play every year, but we would play far more often than we do now. And yes, I do know that we have a, a number of games scheduled with them moving forward in the next 10, 15 years, but I want all these games. I'm done with neutral sites. Y'all know this. I'm pissed off. I hate the fact that our game against Clemson this year is in Atlanta. I freaking hate it. I'm done with neutral sites. Just can't stand 
especially a neutral site regular season game. Dumb, 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 dumb. Put them on freaking campus. So I don't like that. If we played them in the regular season as a conference opponent, we would play them home and home. So that's why I want Clemson. I mean, I just I, I value that old school rivalry, and I want to bring that back. I want to play them on a more regular basis. I want it to be home and home. I don't think Clemson's a great town. Don't necessarily love going there. It's gotten better since I since the last time we played there in 2013. A little bit better, but hey, still. I mean, that's that's a rivalry, man. That's a classic rivalry. So if you want to protect Auburn, like let's get Clemson back, man. Let's do that. And then the third team. Now this one you guys might not agree with as much, but I personally want North Carolina. And hear me out on this. North Carolina is a brand, guys, and brands matter. Brands equal revenue, okay? When you're talking about TV contracts in the future, if you want to outpace the Big Ten and stay the big boy out there in the college ball landscape, well, you need brands because brands get the attention of those TV execs and they're willing to pony up for brands. That's why I want to get Florida State. That's why I want to get North Carolina into maybe a little bit of a lesser degree Clemson. Although I mean the Clemson brand is stronger now than it has been in a long time. I guess over the past 10 years or so. Although it's faded a little bit the past, I guess, year or two. But it's still a brand that's recognizable right now and TV execs will pay for that. That is a big part of why I want North Carolina. I also just think it's dumb that Georgia and North Carolina just don't play on a regular basis. Like those two states, I mean, it's a small border. They share a border. I think Georgia and North Carolina should always be playing. I mean, that's crazy to me that we like. I know that we're in different conferences. It is what it is. But in, the, in my perfect world, Georgia and North Carolina would be a rivalry like Georgia and Auburn or Georgia and Florida. Like, I, I think that just makes sense. I know they don't have the classic football program. That, you know, Georgia and Florida and all those teams do. I get that. I understand that. It's more of a basketball school. I get that. But I still think that we should play them on a regular basis. It's a brand. It's also has the academic prestige, which, you know, a little bit of that. That's great. I mean, hey, y'all, we're about to be an AAU school ourselves when we get this med school built. And I also think it clearly adds a lot to the conference in terms of North Carolina's basketball program. The cachet of the SEC basketball programs is growing year by year, guys. I mean, we're the second best conference in the country this year behind the Big 12 and I mean, we probably have more legit national title contenders than the Big 12 does. I mean, the Big 12, you got Houston and I, I guess Kansas. I don't know if I believe in Kansas, but I guess Kansas. I mean, the SEC, you got Tennessee that's a legit national title contender. Bama, I don't trust their defense right now, but they can score with anybody in the country. They're playing lights out. They're probably going to win the SEC. Auburn, I go back and forth on, but they're a Final Four caliber team. Kentucky's still the most talented team in the country. They don't play a lick of freaking defense. Although maybe they're getting a little better on that end right now. But offensively, like there's no one else that can really compare to them out there in the country. So the SEC is great this year. If you had North Carolina, I mean, come on, guys. Like, let's freaking go. So that's who I would add. Um, and look, if we got Miami, cool, I guess. Miami does nothing for me, guys. It's a pathetic fan base. I do not freaking care. I guess it's kind of a brand, but is it really? I don't know. Um, now, if we got North Carolina, we'd probably also have to take Duke. And I'd, be, I'd take Duke. I would I would take NC State if we had to. So I would take, and maybe Virginia. You know, that's the South's oldest rivalry. I know people would say Virginia Tech. I mean, guys, like when's the last time Virginia Tech's even been like remotely relevant? Like remotely relevant. It's been a minute, guys. I mean, that's, that is another fan base, like an SEC fan base. I'll give them that. But Lane Stadium, I mean, I know it gets a reputation of being this crazy place. It's not big. If y'all ever been by it, it's not a big place at all. And I just don't know if they could, could compete in the SEC. I mean, they, they haven't been able to compete in the ACC for like a decade, guys. I mean, you want to come to the SEC and be able to compete? I just, I don't know. I don't know. So for me, yeah, it would be clearly Florida State, 
Clemson, and I would go North Carolina. I know that seems kind of weird, but that's that's the direction I would go. All right, two more questions here. They're both about baseball. So let's go to Dwayne. Dwayne asks, is this Georgia baseball team for real? Or have they just beat up on a few bad teams? I want to buy in, but history tells me not to get ahead of myself. Dwayne, man, I appreciate the question. I totally get where you're coming from. I'm Typically, I am that guy where it's like, I want to buy in. I want to believe. I so badly want us to be good. I want to have a good basketball team, a good baseball team, but I'm always cautious, right? Because like, I've been bitten so many times. As you said, history tells me to not get ahead of myself. I've been right there with you. But I'm having a hard time right now, man, with this baseball team. Because not only are we 4-0, not only have did we sweep UNC Asheville, not only did we beat Georgia State, we absolutely wiped the floor with them. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier this week. We have not beaten teams the way that we are beating teams right now. I know it's only four games. And I know uh, it's only UNC Asheville. It's only Georgia State. Let's not play it's the only game. Let's stop playing that, guys. Because we haven't been beating teams of that caliber the way that we're beating them right now and it, not even like remotely close to the way that we're beating teams right now. I mean, we just beat Georgia State 15 nothing, guys. 15 nothing. Now you might say, "Oh, it's Georgia State." You got to understand college baseball, guys. I mean, it's like these smaller teams can beat a power conference team on any given day. And like Georgia State beat us last year. Then we played them twice. We beat them once. They beat us once. They beat us actually at home. They beat us at Foley Field last year. And we went all on the road to Georgia State and beat them 15 to nothing. This next number I'm about to give you is absolutely insane. Through four games. Yeah, I know it's a small sample size. Only four games. That's what we have to work with right now. Through four games, we are outscoring our opponents 53-7. to 53-7 through four games. That means through four games, we are essentially beating our opponents by an average of 13-2. to And for those of you who are still dead set on saying, well, you know, I mean, it's UNC Asheville, Georgia State. Well, let's go back and look the last time we made the NCAA tournament, how we beat our first four opponents then. So in 2022, we played Albany to open the season. Yeah, we swept Albany, but we beat them by a score of four to two. 7-6, 7-6, to six, and then 9-1. to one. Then we'd be Wofford 7-1. to one. So yeah, we, we were 4-0 to start the season, but what we outscored those four opponents by a combined, what, 27-10? to 10? I think that's what that math is. Not 53-7. to seven. And then let's go back to 2019, the last time that we were a national seed and we hosted a regional. Yeah, we started out 4-0. We swept Dayton to open the season at home. Then we beat UMass Lowell. But we won those games 5-1, to 10-7, to 13-1. There's one big, big win. And then 6-2. to two. Not 53-7 to seven over the course of four games. I know, again, small sample size. But 53-7 to seven over four games, that is eye-opening stuff. You cannot ignore that. This team is different, guys. Our lineup is balanced top to bottom. And the top of the lineup is just a murderer's row. We have vastly upgraded the roster this year. Brought in 27 new players, 17 from the transfer portal. We have two starters that that start for us position-wise that started last year in Charlie Condon and Fernando Gonzalez. Everyone else is new, right? Now, we have some returning pitchers. We do have some youth in the pitching staff, but we also brought in some some talented vets to supplement that youth. But these young guys, under the tutelage of Wes Johnson, who was LSU's pitching coach last year, led Paul Skeens to, the, to basically be the best player in the entire country, the number one overall draft pick. And he also coached Minnesota Twins for a couple of years. So major league pitching coach. Under their tutelage, these guys are already clearly better. I know it's they've only pitched once, right? I, I understand that. But 
you can already tell these guys are different. Now, we're going to lose a game eventually. We're going to lose a couple games. It's going to happen. You take losses in baseball. It is what it is. Some of these pitchers are going to get knocked around a time or two. It's going to happen. It's baseball. This is what happens in baseball. But our pitching staff is deeper and more talented. And our lineup is, if not the equal of last year's lineup, better. I think better. I mean, maybe not head and shoulders, but better. But I think better. I think we have more options up and down the lineup. I think it's more balanced. I don't really think we have any holes. Again, that top of the lineup is just scary. When you got Slade Alford, you got Charlie Condon, who hit two home runs yesterday. He was sitting like, what, 650 right now, something like that, something wild. You got Dylan Goldstein, you got Logan Jordan, you got all these guys, man. And it's just dude after dude after dude after dude. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to say it right now. And if I'm wrong, you guys can all point and laugh and call me an idiot and have a good time doing it. And that's fine. I'll take it. But I'm going to say it right now. This team is not only going to the postseason, I think this team is going to host a regional. I'm not saying we're going to be a national seed, but I think we're going to be a top 16 seed. I think we're going to host a regional. I think this team is going to be that good. I really, really do. So yeah, maybe, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe I'm getting too excited. Maybe. But I'm telling you, this team's different, guys. It's just different. I love it. I can't wait, man. Can't wait to see this season progress and get the conference play, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. going to be a lot of fun. All right, finally, to wrap things up, we do have a question that was left over from last week. I apologize, Jim, that I could not get to this. I had to go catch a plane. Had to Kind of cut it off a little early, and yours was like the next one up, but I had to run. So, Jim, we got you today. Jim has another question related to baseball. It's more of like a facilities question. Jim asks, I'm curious as to phase one completion at Foley. Do folks honestly believe phase two will be completed before first pitch 2025? And also, most importantly, with all that on the third baseline, are we switching dugouts? And if so, what happens to the long-time season ticket holders all over first base? A lot, of, a lot of questions there, Jim. I have a lot of those questions myself. I don't have firm answers for you. I'm kind of short on firm answers here. Now, as to the first part of this, will phase two be completed before first pitch of next year? That's the plan. I don't I don't know, man. I they're gonna have to they probably have to go into like overdrive like to get that done but it's possible I guess I'm not a construction expert what I can tell you is that I mean I know the new tennis the new tennis indoor facility was supposed to be ready to open this in this uh indoor season but it wasn't it's almost ready now I think it's like like maybe a couple weeks from being ready but I mean we're almost the outdoor season so really wasn't quite open in time it wasn't pushed back too far but it didn't hit the time marker that I think that we ultimately wanted it to hit so I think there's a chance that gets pushed back. I hope not. I'm sure they're going to work overdrive to get that done, but I I share your curiosity. I'm not 100% 100 sure there. Uh, As to the third base stuff, yes, there's a lot of things being built over the third base line. I have not heard anything imminent about us switching dugouts. Now, that might be on the table. That might be in the cards. I don't know. That's that's actually, I've never asked that. I I will try to ask some people that I know and see what I can find out. But right now, I haven't heard that anything like that is imminent. But if we do switch, I mean, what does happen to the season ticket holders on first base? I don't know, man. I guess like, I mean, I guess they could just stay there. I think, right? I know that would technically be behind the opposing dugout at that point. But would that stop you from keeping your season ticket there? I don't know. I don't know the 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 way that would necessarily work. But I think they could probably keep them there, as far as I would know. But I'll ask on that too, see what I can find out and bring that back here. But I just, just wanted to touch on that, Jim. I'm sorry I don't have a ton of hard answers on that, but I didn't want to completely ignore your question. Once you know that I saw it and I tried my best to answer it. But all right, guys, that's all I got for today here on the Glory UJ podcast. Of course, as always, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you guys tuning in each and every episode. We are going to kick off 
our spring practice primer series next week. I cannot be more excited about it, guys. I mean, I'm just pumped about this. We're going to go position by position. We're going to do that over the course of the next two weeks. So be checking that out. Be looking forward to that. And we'll have you guys covered like we always do during the offseason. But again, thank you for being here. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.